<clears throat> I, uh, the main art of like cartooning mm-hmm. is to convey the most information with as few lines as possible. Okay. So the whole idea is for it to look easy. Kyle, are you going to tell everybody that you became a yuppie this weekend? I became a yuppie in what sense? We all went sailing. We did go sailing. It was my first experience with a boat like that. I've been on a boat before, but I've never sailed. Kyle got floppy hair this weekend. He got boat shoes. What do you mean floppy hair? Oh, you're just like transforming into a yuppie before my very eyes. Oh, man, if only I had floppy hair. He's about to move to Connecticut, get a dog, uh, you know, marry uh, a young girl. Yeah, I do have the strangest desire to roll up the bottom of my pants. Ooh, already did it. Beat yeah. you to it. That was that was a thinly veiled insult. <laughs> uh, who's on the show this week? This week we've got Matt Lubchansky. Uh, Matt's a comic book artist um, who is an editorial assistant at The Nib, uh, formerly the comic book website at medium.com, uh, which is transitioning this summer to First Look Media. So I can't wait to see what they do. Um, but he talks to us about his process, about the things that he loves and the things that he does not love in the comic book world, the history and the future of comic writing, um, and, you know, the reaction to some of his pieces uh, that had to do with, you know, cops killing people of color. Spoiler, the reactions are not good. Not good at all. Uh, They're about what you would expect from the internet of anonymity. But let's get into the episode and talk more about it with Matt. Matt Lubchansky is a cartoonist and editorial assistant at The Nib, which is a cartoon website relaunching this summer at First Look Media. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So tell us in like 30 seconds what you do every day. What do I do every day? Okay. Number one, I wake up. (laughs) Wait, you too? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. I'm losing all my time Is that before or after you open your eyes? I... (laughs) <laughs> I think I wake up before you wake up before you open your eyes. Yeah. So then I do that. I feed the cats, water the plants, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make some breakfast, drink some yeah. coffee. And then uh, depending on the day, I will run social media for the nib. And then I will write a comic and then draw a comic, hopefully, and then work on commissions and things like that. Okay. And then answer emails and edit uh, and like talk about editorial stuff for the nib, like editing submissions that are coming in, looking at submissions, uh, basically editing each other's work and uh, – drawing whatever needs to be drawn for the nib, like promotional stuff or whatever. And then I and then it's like nine o'clock at night and then I go to bed. And then I close my eyes. How much time do you actually spend drawing in a day? Uh on a on a on a day where I like have everything in order, probably six or seven hours at least. And then the other times like emails and invoicing and regular freelancer stuff. Because the nib right now I'm just part time there. Mm-hmm. So it's um, freelance life for me. So it's a lot of scrounging around like an animal. Now, you said submissions of the nib. Mm-hmm. Um, how – I mean I'm assuming you're getting like fully fleshed out cartoons. Um, so no. So like um, it would be very bad to expect uh, people to submit fully formed cartoons because that takes a whole day basically. Mm-hmm. So like write to conceive of and write pencil, ink, color, letter. All that stuff takes a substantial amount of time for something good, at least for a short one yeah. even. Um, so we take pitches generally. We like – sketches are nice, but like generally scripts or ideas. Uh, for like longer pieces, we take like just big, very, very loose outlines of people, what people want to do. Um, to expect someone to submit a full cartoon is not great because that's a lot of free labor basically that you're asking for. It's like asking for a completed piece 
So what is what goes into each cartoon? Just because I don't I don't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're talking like from my end or from somebody else? Yeah, or? like from from your end or in general, like it, from conception to finished product. Yeah. So if I'm like wake, so if I'm doing like so, you know, I do a lot of different types of things. Like I have my weekly comic um, where I do it's more like straight humor stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to extrapolate uh, like non-news pindy stuff out of out of life into something more general. Um, a lot of times it's just political events and I strip it from context is <laughs> my trick generally. Um, but for like a political cartoon, which is what I spend a lot of my time doing now with the nib relaunching, um, I try to read as much news as possible. I like just spend all day online getting mad <laughs> like many of us. Um, so this is like your bread and butter here. Anonymous comments. I just, yeah, just lo- yeah. <laughs> I just love to sit around getting mad on Twitter all day. And that is that's how my writing process starts. It's, it's the really best. I, I recommend it. Just being mad, yeah. always. You you had you had this one comic about. Um, I, I actually tweeted it to you last night. Uh, this guy had like his head stuck in a pile of garbage. Oh yeah. Uh, and um, I mean it was a it was a metaphor for social media. But it was that was me. It was sticking yeah. my my face into the garbage stream all day. <laughs> yeah. And someone's like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do that. It's unhealthy. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, what I missed? And I my head back. In. Oh, that that hit way too close to home. Yeah. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, what I'll do is I'll. I mean, basically, I'm, I've the the one thing I've gotten much better at as a professional is like getting is writing my ideas down when they come to me. So I've mm-hmm. got like a notes folder on my phone that I'm writing in the middle of the night all the time. Uh, when something comes to me when I'm out or reading or whatever, I'll just write down a snippet of what I want to do. And basically, hopefully in the morning, I've got one of those ideas to just sort of like start riffing on. Uh, and hopefully within a couple of hours, I've got like a fully fleshed out. I'll think of like an idea and then have to turn it into a conversation and then I'll add context like where it is and what's happening and visuals and things like that. And then from that point, it's just drawing the comic, which is, you know, penciling and then inking and coloring it. Cool. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a pretty simple process. It's like it's hard to describe. Well, I mean, Kyle's taking an animation class right now and there's so many random steps that go into it. And I watch him do it and my mind is just like, wait, didn't you do that last time? And what are yeah. you doing there? And I mean, it's like you're speaking for me when I'm in the room. I don't know if this is what mansplaining is, but it feels close. Maybe this is Jeff's. He's in, the, he's in the cube with you right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm like here, and I could break in. But basically, I'm I taking just, an I just animation give, course. But I just I want to like, give Kyle an excuse to like <laughs> to jump in here to yep. jump in. What, yeah, what, make no, much a comic. to you, mm-hmm. Jeff. What is a random step in animation when you're looking at it? I mean, I, I like I have a very very basic not um, knowledge of Photoshop and mm. Illustrator uh, to the point where I could like maybe do like stick figure drawings. Mm. Um, so for me, a random step when I watch Kyle do it is like he's outlining it and making layers and oh, yeah. you know, adding color and whatever. Um, but lighting passes. And I mean, I don't, I'm sure I'm not even doing a good job of explaining what I'm seeing, but um, but to me, that's it's what it looks just, like. It's all just. Colors and shapes and lines and things it's like you're, rainbows. You're, you're, oh, you're doing colors and shapes. Colors and shapes. Some next level like, shit, man. Yeah. Sometimes well, I think about adding dots, mm, like just throwing some dots. Well, in there. well but that's Fire the thing up. is that all, it's classic. That, I mean, that's classic that, maneuver. That's kind of what I'm getting at, though. Is that like when most people see this stuff, you're looking at the finished product, and a lot of people don't understand just how much goes into it. Oh yeah, I mean the main art of, um, <clears throat> uh, the main art of like cartooning mm-hmm. is to convey the most information with as few lines as possible. Okay. So the whole idea is for it to look easy. Good. That makes it look very easy. It's actually, it's you know, it's, it's like most things where it looks, kick your microphone again. Um, 
Uh, it's like most things when it looks really easy, that's actually very hard. Yeah. It's like the best writing that just sounds like someone, yeah. you know. Uh, but with with cartooning, it's like uh, for you to convey simple motion and simple things happening efficiently. It's very very hard and takes a very long time, um, which is why a lot, which is why bad cartoons generally look very stiff. Which was the which step do you spend the most time in? Is it the pencil part? Penciling, or, for yeah, sure. That's, that's far and away the most time. I'll probably ink for a quarter of the time that I'm penciling. And I color pretty fast because I do it very simply. I don't get bogged down and like going crazy with shading and stuff because I don't have the time for it. <laughs> and that's like that's the thing that I'm worst at is coloring. Yeah. Um, and I could get better, but I I don't have much motivation to get better at it. Um, one of the one of the struggles for me is sketching digitally. Um, yeah, it took a long time for me to get good at it. What do you work with, uh, a, technically speaking? I have a Wacom Cintiq Companion Two. Is it Wacom? I've always thought it was Wacom. I thought it was Wacom for years, and one oh time I, God, I called Wacom. them to order more nib, style, the stylus nibs, yeah. like little plastic nibs, and someone picked up the phone. They're like, Wacom, how can I help you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh! You just completely changed my life. Yeah, well, and I, it's I, been years. Or, you're like or, the 30th person I've done this to. I'm Wacom. sorry. Or you Wacom. called the one guy on his first day at work. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's apparently, I think it is a portmanteau in Japanese. Oh, man. I okay. think. Um, so you've got the Cintiq. You've got the I've got. I've got a Cintiq. Uh, companion that when you unplug it from your computer, it's like a little tablet that you can oh carry. It's in my bag right so now because cool. I was working out of a coffee shop before I came here. Can we can we look at this after we're yeah, done I'll, doing I'll this sh- audio sh- nonsense? I will show it to you, or <laughs> you can just pull it. It looks it's a black box with a screen. <laughs> you guys just are describe speaking. it to me. How do, how does the screen feel? It's uh, glass, glass, glass like okay. glass, and that it is made of glass. Glass. You guys are speaking pig Latin is it right now. Glass. But you can understand glass okay, in a it's, black um, box. So what I, what I have is um, – <laughs> so there are many types of – like a tablet. Uh-huh. You've seen like someone drawing. They're like looking at their computer screen and they're drawing down like this. Uh-huh. And, and I, I've, I think I've never been able to do. Uh, but there's a thing called the Cintiq that a company called Wacom – it's pronounced Wacom. Fuck. I know. Uh, makes it's like a it's, – it's like you can draw on a monitor. Okay. You can see what you're doing while you're looking down at it. So it's like a second monitor for your computer. You just like drag the Photoshop window into that. Cool. And yeah, so but- you're like manipulating the mouse with a little stylus that works, uh, I think, with magic. Because the stylus, <laughs> you never you never have to charge it. And when it's like a couple inches off the screen, the cursor will follow it. Okay. I don't know how it works. Magnets. Is it? Oh, fuck. Of course. Yeah. Magnets and computers Magnets. go together so well. <laughs> no, it's like- For some reason, I never thought about it. I have a mechanical engineering degree. I never like, this is, well, it's got to be some sort of wireless charge. It's magical. Do you really have a mechanical engineering I degree? I really actually do. What That's are amazing. you doing drawing cartoons? Uh, I hated doing engineering <laughs> very much. And I was drawing cartoons at night and on weekends for like six years. Okay. And so then stopped doing it. Well, yeah. So how did you get into cartooning? What What was uh-huh. the, 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 the entrance for you? Uh, it's probably like I was just watching The Simpsons always. And I had like a bunch of Life in Hell books. And I read a lot. I had, like, all the Far Side collections. Those were the yes. things I read the most of. Um, I also read a lot of Dilbert when I was a kid. <laughs> when I was, like, I don't know if this is just an Wait, experience as a that kid? I had. Yeah, I was, like, 11. I loved Dilbert. <laughs> fucking all about office humor. I, I loved it. I would read it and be like, this is what my life's going to be like. <laughs> I want to have, have office chums who we're going to make – we're going to be cracking wise at our pointy-haired boss. <laughs> I, I, I saw a, a meme on Reddit today that was making fun of um, – Married with Children, the mm-hmm. sitcom from the 80s I, and, not, or 90s. I was like, how old am I? Um, <laughs> and it, it, it's saying, like, when you're watching this as a 14-year-old, you're like, this guy has, like, a crappy job and a crappy car and, uh, like, you know, a wife he doesn't like. And then it's like, when you're watching it as a 34-year-old, this guy has a stable career. Yeah. And <laughs> he has a, like, working vehicle and he has a wife that always wants to have sex. <laughs> 
of yeah. just like, yeah, that's pretty much Dilbert. It's pretty, yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> except the opposite. <laughs> yeah, and except also Dilbert is uh, is created by like a, a maniac. Mm-hmm. Is like, it really? He's like a libertarian nut job. But so, I recently had a very very bad experience with Scott Adams, where I'd been I'd been led to believe for years that he lived in a Dilbert shaped castle <laughs> because there's no no there's a photo online. <laughs> There's a photo online of like a like it's like a, a round it's like a house it's like a you know like a fancy house and like next to it is this big round cement tower that looks like it's got like the parapets and stuff and it's got windows to make it look like Dilbert's head and I was like and I was told that this is Dilbert, that this is Scott Adams' house and for years I was like telling people like Scott Adams lives in the Dilbert house <laughs> and then I and then someone told me recently that it was like a computer generated thing that like was like for some like. Dilbert house that he rendered for some joke for some CD that he would mail to people or something. So, so is this all just about the shattered dreams of your childhood? This is all about the shattered dreams of my childhood. Oh, but anyways, I'd be watching TV all day and I would, uh, I'd be drawing. I'm self-taught, basically. Uh, after college, I took some night classes at the School of Visual Arts to kind of bone up um, on like basic stuff because there would be, I would draw something and it would be bad and I wouldn't know how to fix it. And now I know how to fix it, basically. So I like learned some theory about cartooning there from like an old school comics with an ex guy at night. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's um, the what's what's the the biggest takeaway you you got from that night school education at SVA? Is there like It's really specific. Do you really want to All right, do you want Yeah, you, you, absolutely. You, Let's go deep. Y'all want to hear about volume indicators? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly as someone who is like trying to learn okay. animation now, I, I absolutely So if you like look at a sleeve, right? So say I'm wearing short sleeves and I'm drawing a comic of it. So if the camera is above my shoulder and looking down, the bottom of the sleeve is going to be rounded like this, like pointing down. Mm-hmm. But if I lift my arm, it should be rounded like this. If it's facing the camera, mm-hmm. like rounded concave that way yeah. um, as opposed to convex. Uh, and and if, it, if it's wrong, your, your eye will notice it and you won't even know how to categorize that the drawing is bad. But it is ruining the drawing. Really? Uh-huh. There are things like things curve towards and away from the camera depending on your position. Yeah. Now, uh, now, how would that have worked You know, if you have someone that grew up in a cave and has never looked at a photograph or something? What do you mean? What do you mean? Because <laughs> you said that it's the way that your brain recognizes, like. How oh no! The it's just like it, it's just because it's visually what it looks like. It's like a depth cue. It's right? a it's a depth cue. Okay. Yeah, blamo. Um, I mean, <laughs> I pointed out to myself. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna back did, out of all the technical conversations. Yeah. The other the other the other big thing I learned is like tangent lines. What are those? Uh, like so, say like there is a drawing of a cup, and you're looking. And you're like pulling it towards the camera, so I'm like looking at this cup, and I'm looking at the mixing board. Mm. If one of the vertical, one of the horizontal lines from the mixing board touches like the top point of the cup, it's it ruins the depth. It flattens everything, so you have to have it like just over one way or the other. Tangent lines is what mm-hmm. that's I'm, this is very visual. I'm like showing you with a cup yeah. here, and everybody's <laughs> so just like cup. everyone, everyone listening, is and he's pulling listening. it away from the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do visuals on yeah. an audio medium. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. I, but yeah, so I'm, I was gonna say it's like very, it, very it. specific. Yeah. It's it's mostly it was like learning about depth and like how to make motion look more fluid. Um, everything else like style and stuff that's already been determined by most people. Yeah. That's hard to like change up, especially with cartoons specifically. Um, but yeah, the struggle that I have is like having come from I, I am a shooter first, or I was a shooter. Now I edit mostly, um, yeah. and I'm getting into animation. But knowing the tenets of image composition, yeah. And then trying to translate that with my hand instead of a camera yes. has been one of the most difficult processes to learn. I yeah, think I got ever. some bad news for you. I got it, a it dumb never hand. Look, it never looks like the inside of your brain. I got a dumb never, hand. Never, yeah, your, dumbs will be, your hands will be dumb forever. Wait, so you – I've always wondered if this was a threshold that people cross where you're like – like it, if you sit down at a piano, there's a very big difference between somebody who can 
play something they know and somebody who can just make something up on the spot mm-hmm. and have it sound like what you hear in your head. Yes. And what I've always imagined was at a certain point after drawing for so many years, you could sit down and just draw what you see nope. in your mind's eye. Nope. That doesn't happen. Never ever. There's no hope. I I've never talked to a person that's ever happy with their drawings. Oh, my God. Okay, so – You can be you can be happy with the result. Right. Com- com- but it's always compared to what you've done in the past. It's never like – this is going to look exactly like it looks in my head. And if it, if someone does say that to you, they are pompous or lying or they're a monster and I want to chop their hands off because they're the best artist who's ever lived. That's kind of like a statement about art in general though, right? Because yeah. I, I don't know if you've – I don't I mean, know if I've ever met someone who loves something they did. Yeah. Have you ever met a writer that like they exactly got the sentences down what they imagined they were going to be in their head while they got started? No. Yeah. Like you can make the rhetorical points you want. Like I can get my point across in a comic. Right. But it's never going to look exactly how I want it to look. I guess there's been like a gap bridge, uh, a gap bridged in my head where like I now imagine there's something that happens in my mind's eye that I know how it's going to look when I draw it, and those things reconcile now. You've consciously lowered your expectations, uh, basically, <laughs> yeah, to match my style. Oh God! So that's interesting because there's so many technical aspects that go into you know drawing these mm-hmm. comics and creating them, but you in particular, and I mean a handful of other comics that I read, uh, or cartoonists, um, mm-hmm. comics or cartoonists. I mean, the person that makes them would be a cartoonist. Okay, um, I go by Matt you, generally. <laughs> well, that's my that's my dad joke. You you I mean you you also like have like really awesome comics that um, that can easily tell a story that somebody can pick up on and like figure out very quickly if it's satire or if you're trying to make a point or especially this year because you know politics are everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, what happens if you're like a crappy writer but a great cartoonist and vice versa? You find a writer. Really? <laughs> Generally. Okay. <laughs> you start working as a team. Like if you're a really good – I mean then you would probably call yourself more of an illustrator if you're like amazing at art and kind of not great. Like a cartoonist mm-hmm. is a person that writes and draws. Okay. Traditionally. An illustrator is a person that draws or a, if you're in like mainstream comics, you could be a penciler or an inker. Colorist, a litterer. Those are all. Those are all jobs you can have if you work, say, for Marvel or DC or Image or Vertigo or whatever. Um, but or you can have like there are lots of people that work in teams, and that's a that's a pretty classic setup um, for comics. Um, but like a, traditionally, like your newspaper comic strips and things like that, your political cartoons, stuff like that, is generally one person. It's like a, it's an auteur-ish sort of idea, I guess. But the idea of, like, a cartoonist is a person that writes and draws. And it's funny because when I first got into it, um, I didn't like writing. Um, and I started learning how to write so I'd have something to draw because I like drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sort of – they sort of uh, – the skills sort of developed together. And now the writing skills that you learned through that have really helped in, like, your social media realm and everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm now at a point where I enjoy writing a lot in a way that I, I never used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think of it's – like I could write something that doesn't have a comic attached to it if I really need to. Did you have you ever? Or do you? Yeah, I mean, I wrote, I co-authored a book with yeah. my wife called Dad Magazine. Yeah, out from tell, Quirk Books. Very tell recently. us about that. <laughs> good, good segue, fellas. <laughs> um, so that was um, it was a, it was a series of fake magazine covers we did for the Toast. Me and my wife Jaya Saxena. Um, that was like came up as a joke one time. We were out for lunch with Mallory Orberg, one of the founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were out for lunch together in San Francisco and we were cracking jokes about something with dads and we came up with the idea of like a fake general interest magazine for dads. And it was before the Toast launched or even had a name, but it was in development. Um, so it was one of the first things that ran on the website and people liked it, but it was like fake yeah, general interest magazine covers for dads that I would Photoshop very crappily. Um, 
Booby and Jai would write some like fake headlines, and that was the whole post. Mm-hmm. And then we got approached by Quirk um, to do a full issue of the magazine, and it's like 130 pages or something of fake wow. articles and ads, uh, fake staff members that we invented, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, yeah, so that was all writing, like a um, headcase design, Philadelphia to the actual design of the book. They did an amazing job. It looks beautiful. Um, but like it's, it was, uh, it was certainly different for me to just do writing only, and then just we kind of like expect what we wanted the illustrate, what we wanted the book to look like, but mm-hmm. it was really out of our hands at that point. Well, I guess my question is, um, I mean, you you've done a, a few. This you have. Uh, I'm blanking on on all the dates. This book just came out about. Yeah, it came out in April. Yeah. About a year ago, you had a book which was a collection of Nib comics. It was uh, September of last year. Okay. An anthology called Eat More Comics. It was the first. It was the best of like the first year of the Nib that I am a contributing editor to that book. And now you have another one coming out of. Yes, currently I am almost. When's this episode coming out? Uh, probably like three weeks. Okay, weeks. so the Kickstarter just ended. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> um, thank you. It is funded already, which is yeah, good. I saw a that. lot. Of, a lot of the stresses melted away because it funded pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, very, very blessed for that. But um, uh, that is a collection called Skeleton Party. That is the first six years of my webcomic. Okay. It's like a 300-page book. That's going to be so fun. I'm very excited for that to come out because that was something I meant to do for a long time. And then I was just scared of not being able to get funded for it. And then it funded in like 23 hours. Well, what do you think the market for this kind of thing is? Because, I mean, you've clearly proven that it exists. Um, the market for like for a, for like a, a book of cartoons or comics. Oh, I mean the the market there is. I mean that's it's older than I am for sure. Specifically yeah. with like web comics, that's an industry that's existed for like the first web comics to go post online probably late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of people who've been doing it full time for years. Um, and there are people who've been like kickstarting books that make way more money than mine already. Yeah. Um, but like the collect the the idea of like a Kickstarter collection is a very tried and true thing that I was. Just scared of doing because I wasn't sure if the audience was there for me specifically. But it's nice. I'm going to have like a, a lot. I'm going to print a decent run of books I'm going to have for conventions and stuff for years, which is nice. I mean, I, I thought, you know, that everything that was going to go into it is brilliant. But you, uh, I say brilliant a lot on this show. You do. You you go to the brilliant, uh, what is it, the brilliant stock? If there was a shelf with just brilliance on it, you're in there at least four times. You should times get some synonyms just written on the wall here. <laughs> just like pull them down from a thesaurus. It's magnificent. Brilliant. Well, why? Terrific. I, fantastic. I, I, I haven't heard glorious yet. You should get in on that. That is fantastic. Mellifluous. Well, okay, I mean so, something else. So I guess, you know, I, I'm just curious. <laughs> really like, goof that up, guys. <laughs> I don't actually know what mellifluous means offhand. That's one I would have to like, if I was using my Kindle right now, I'd have to press the button seven times to highlight it. Well, I guess no. I mean, my question is like, I I like have, I read a lot of comics or yeah. de- decent amount of comics. Mm-hmm. I read graphic novels, um, but like I I personally have never gone to like you know buy like a Peanuts comic strip book or something. Yeah. Um. So I guess like, why did you choose that realm? Um. So that's actually that's I mean back to what I was talking about before. It's like I owned every single Farside collection. Mm-hmm. I owned all the Garfield and Dilbert collections. It was like this thing that like, newspaper comic strips would come out with these like they call them. They, they would first have like a little trade paperback size thing that would be like a collection of a, like a year or two of strips. Their version and, of a serialization. Yeah, and then they would have like a treasury or like a gallery or some other big thing that was like a huge collection of like maybe five or even ten years of strips or whatever. I don't know how many, but like they'd be have like these bigger books. Uh, and the idea of like having a big collection of my regular gag strip is like this 
this thing that I always wanted to have when I was like reading comics when I was a kid. So it's it's nice to do that. Yeah. Have you ever looked back through that collection at your development to like think about ways of going forward? Like how in often? My own stuff, you mean? Yeah. How often do you explore new? Oh God. I can't ideas I mean, in your comics. Yeah, I think it's a pretty common thing that people have a hard time looking at their old work. Um, it's like looking into your old mind and also my very bad hands. And also like what I was saying before about, I meant to get to this before about drawing digitally. So it took me, when I first got my tablet, it took me a solid year and a half to get to the point where I was good enough to like show a person when I was drawing on it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I've been drawing with pencils my whole life and then decided to go digital because once you do get good enough, it is a hundred times faster. Because um, you can hit the undo button and move th- and also move things around, which yeah. is very nice when you're inking. Well, now, what do you think about the future of the medium? But comics? Yeah, because this is something where it's becoming more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are currently living through a like a real golden age of indie comics. Yeah. There's so much good stuff out there right now. It's everywhere. It is. Um, it's it's gotten a lot more um, democratic in terms of the. It used to be a thing that was all men. Uh-huh. And that's changing a lot, which is like you go to a comics convention now and it's all women, the artists. It's great. Like it's it's just a big – there's been a big demographic shift where it is now for everybody. Like I go, I just came uh, – I just went to a convention this last weekend. Just the amount of people that are not your your classic sort of comic book reader that are around. That they've, they've always liked comics, but they felt, I think, very intimidated by the community of people that have been there. Um, so just like there's been this whole wealth of new creators and people – an audience and all the stuff that it's, I think um, – Things are looking bright, I think, for comics. You've uh, mentioned that conventions are a tough sell in the past just because of all the things that you have to deal with. Is there some place else that you go where the indie community gathers to find new comics, new artists? Not really. I think a lot of it's online now. It's like you just kind of chill out on Twitter or Tumblr or Slack or wherever the hell uh, where the people are. It's always going to be somewhere. So um, there's not like some secret underground cartoonist convention that we can find? Not that I know of. Like the little indie comics conventions that I do exhibit at where they have – only a couple hundred exhibitors and like a smaller show floor and like Marvel and DC don't show up and like the biggest person there is probably drawn a quarterly or whoever. Um, those conventions are great for finding new artists. Um, and like there's like a little circuit of people that basically do those shows. Um, and I'll go to them and I'll go wander the floor and I end up spending a lot of the money that I make just because uh, there's just a million great things everywhere. Tons of great artists you've never even that you know, I wouldn't have come across otherwise. I worked at a bookstore for a while, and, and I think I lost money from that job. <laughs> Everything yeah. I made would just go straight back into the store. Yeah. Um, so what – I mean, I, I just keep coming back to the fact that there are these, like, various kinds of cartoons or comics. Um, you know, you have, like, the serialized comics like The Walking Dead. You have, uh, like, the Adrian Tomines, Killing and Dying. You have the comic strips that, um, you know, you practice – uh, and that, like, Charles Schultz and, and Scott Adams did. And then you have, like, the web comics, which, uh, what, what's the guy's name? Matt. Um, he's one of the bigger ones. Lachansky. Uh, no, there's another one. Oh, well, you too. But... Other, other Matt. Lesser Matt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, well, oh, you're thinking of Matthew Inman? Yes. The Oatmeal? Yes, that's mm. the one. And then also, you know, like, uh, Poorly Drawn Lines. And, yeah. Um, to me, those are all – and then you have, like, manga and anime and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because actually, you know, Matthew Inman's – the oatmeal or whatever is huge. Mm-hmm. But it, it's actually relatively new in terms of comics. I mean, it's been around for a while now. Yeah. But there's been – I mean, he, I remember him showing up, like, the late 2000s, I think. Yeah. But there have been web comics that have been running since 97, 98. Really? Yeah, yeah, There's a great one called Goats that is – I mean, the cartoonist now is doing another cartoon called Scenes from Multiverse. His name is John Rosenberg. 
who's a close friend of mine who was great, like one of my first mentors in the industry. Mm-hmm. But he's been doing web comics for twenty years. He like invented them. Or he was like one of the couple of guys that was the, the, some of the first people that were there. Uh, there's a guy named Scott Kurtz that's been run, doing a, a comic called PVP that's been running since the late '90s. Penny Arcade's been running since the late '90s. Penny like Arcade. Yeah, I mean, like, Wait, there, isn't there one like XYZD or something? XKCD. Yes, has been running a long time. Yeah. The guy that makes that is also a very nice dude. Yeah. Yeah. He just had a book out recently. Yeah, it's called The What If Book. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, writes, he writes interesting stuff. Yeah. Now, would you look at all that as just like different genres of, of comics or cartoons or something? So it's a, it's a weird thing where comics are a medium. They're not a genre. Okay. Um, you know, like superhero comics are a genre. But like everything else, I would just generally lump into the sort of thing that it is. You know, like if it's if it's comedy, it's comedy. If it's humor, you know. If it's like a science-based thing, it's a science thing. If it's about gaming, it's gaming journalism. Like I don't. Do you think, to an extent, this is a developing world that people are still trying to figure out? Yeah, and and you know, you read uh, the New York Times still thinks comics is a genre. Yeah, yeah, and like every every cartoonist I know gets mad on Twitter every time they do it. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very up with like how many times the New York Times has done that wrong, or you know, equivalent publications. They just call it. They always call comic. They think comics is a genre, but like, the, you can't you can't lump. Superman and Saga into the same thing. You wouldn't do that with a movie about him. No, of course it's just, not. It's just a genre. It's like a book. But this you know? is – and this is. Or, or, sorry, it's just a medium rather. Sorry. Well, well, no, it's fine. I mean I'm just like – I'm so curious because this is something that like I've been struggling with mm. um, specifically in the last week when I've been like really digging into all my research. Um, but it's something I never really thought of before and I feel like a lot of people are in that same boat because yeah. something like Saga or Killing and Dying from Adrian Tomine, mm. um, speaking specifically um, – like the those two comics are uh, like critically acclaimed. Yes, um, which has happened in the past, but not really to that level. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I think those are a result of of Tomine being around, Tomine. Yeah, being around a long time and making a lot of books, and the guy who wrote Saga, Brian K. Vaughn. This is like his fourth critically acclaimed series. Yeah, you know, he wrote a lot of stuff already. He also was a television writer for a while. He wrote on Lost. Okay, but he also made a series called Why the Last Man. That everyone loved. That's great. He made a series called Ex Machina that was also pretty well reviewed. I mean, like he's been he did Runaways, which is another good thing that I think they're doing a movie of eventually. But like that was a Marvel comic. So, like, so he's been around a long time and has done a lot of like so people. So he's you, a name people know. Yeah. So like I think there's a point where, just like any genre of thing, you can cross over into like sort of mainstream consciousness about it. I mean, if I'm reading it, then it's probably pretty mainstream. <laughs> yeah. And like with I think with Brian Kevon is pretty well deserved because he does really great stuff and. Um, the art in Saga is so good. It's amazing. Fiona Stables does such a good job. And it's like, it's so crazy too. It's yeah. the weirdest stuff. It's amazing. Um, yeah. I was sitting next, I was like sitting across from Fiona Stables at a convention a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And like the whole week I was like, I'm going to go introduce myself. I'm gonna do it. And then like, <laughs> I was just so intimidated. I like, oh, what if she like chops off my hands because they're not good enough? <laughs> yeah. uh, wait, so how, I got to ask just because I've seen this in, in movies and stuff. Are your hands like your lifeblood? Do you protect those? Like, yeah, I should, I should really get them insured. Uh, last year, I fell off my bicycle and broke my collarbone, but mm-hmm. on my off hand. So you were and, lucky. And I was like, "Thank the Lord God, yeah, uh, that it was not my right hand because I would be out of, I would literally out of work. Did I don't you, know what I would do. Did you twist on your way down to make sure that it was your left collarbone? <laughs> you know, probably subconsciously. Boxers and con- and cartoonists yeah. need to insure their hands. I really shouldn't. I like I I've talked to other cartoonists about this, and we're like, oh yeah, we should totally insure our hands. Like nobody does because <laughs> we're because we're all we're all cartoonists because we don't care about finances and not mm-hmm. because we are smart. 
about, about that kind of stuff. Um, How fun is it being a cartoonist in the election year? Oh, God. Well, okay. Well, here's the thing is I want to cry all the time. It's not it's not fun. Like the the amount of the amount of attention I have to pay to this like if you were like hey you'd have you, it would be harder for you to find material but also you'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and like not you wouldn't be just observing a, a swirling tornado of chaos and 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 madness around you at all times. We're like just the problem with this year specifically I think is everybody's crazy. Everyone. Everyone has lost their goddamned minds and yeah. I don't know what's happened. Is this the first election you've covered? Um, as, as a as a, a as a full time cartoonist, this is the first election I've had to really cover, uh, and it's been going on, if you recall, since I think six years ago. I think it started approximately, yeah, hundred thousand years ago, and it's still going. Like I was looking at this, I think, like I think I think Donald Trump announced his presidency like last June or something. Or is this a candidacy? Sorry, he's not the president yet. <laughs> Well, we we already he, he, he probably did start with the presidency though. He just worked his way backwards. <laughs> it's like fine. Maybe, Kanye maybe already did it for twenty twenty. It's true. Um, Conway. Uh, Conway Twitter. <laughs> Conway, yes. Well, so I, I you you do a lot, mostly freelance or all freelance work, right? It's all freelance work. Yeah. Are there any like unlikely suspects that have been hiring you for cartoons? Not really. I managed to get a cartoon in Vice a while ago, which was cool. Uh, like a sci-fi short story that ran on Motherboard's Terraform thing. So that was a one-off thing? That was like a one-off thing, and they were like looking for submissions, and I asked if they took comics, and I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what about, um, did you do a poster for Gimlet a I while did, ago I did. for Reply I did, All? I did two posters for Reply two? All. Okay. Yeah, because I know, I know one of the guys over there. Okay. And uh, it's been very helpful that uh, I think that my, my wife is a writer, Yeah. and I meet a lot of writers and editors, so every time they need a person who can do illustrations... I, I get a lot of the calls. And keep in mind for anyone listening that uh, when I emailed Matt to be on the show, he, he literally responded and said like, oh, yeah, I was just at the bar with so-and-so. And he mentioned three people that like we had already recorded with. <laughs> is there is there uh, like a place to publish that would be like the tip top of the comics world where you could be like this is a lifetime achievement if that's you get a comic published That's there? a good question. There is uh, something that I have coming up that's going to be like a one-off thing. In a print magazine that is like a bucket list thing that I'm not allowed. I'm not sure if I want to talk about it. Congratulations! But it rhymes anyway. with Schmad Magazine. Ooh, ooh! Look at you! Congratulations! Yeah, I'm like, and I, I think that issue is coming out around the time this episode is coming out. So like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked about that. That's awesome. like, it's like a like a stupid one panel comic that I managed to like get to them, and they took it. And I'm just like, wow, it's. Ten-year-old hey. me is hype about this, but that's the type of bucket list thing you're talking. And, about. Yeah, like, like yeah. I don't, I don't it know. It always starts with one. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's like a. I think things are different now in terms of like what like a like a dream place like it would be a dream for me to get like basically a com- like a graphic novel picked up by like a publisher would be a nice thing. <laughs> That'd be really If anyone out there is listening and looking. Yeah, I am I mean I am currently shopping something but like um <clears throat> like it, it would be sorry, coughed right on the microphone there. Oh, you, how dare you? How dare? I'm sorry. Uh, but like <laughs> Just uh, like kicking microphones, you're <laughs> coughing up. I'm a I'm a menace. And I, <laughs> my, my voice is destroyed from this convention I was at. That's the it's, other thing about conventions. I'm yelling the entire weekend because it's in a loud room, so my voice sounds like this now. Well, what I've about? I've been to a convention as a as like a fan, but not as like someone <clears> who is so into it that I would even know where to go on the floor to find the comics. Like I didn't yeah. know Artist Alley was a thing because I was yeah. mostly just walking around looking at everything with wide eyes and wondering how this all happened. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I, I mean I go to like these very small conventions. It's all comics basically. Yeah. Yeah, and, you're, and you're, you just have to shout at people the whole time. And mm-hmm. the ones that Kyle goes to, you're probably there for like a few hours, and then you like go get lunch and go home. I actually um, started the same way 
he uh, the same way Matt did, which was as a professional shooting it. So I'd be walking around for like eight hours, and I'd get a chance here and there to stop by. Oh, you, you got to walk around the whole time. Yeah, I at least get a chair. <laughs> walking around in cons is so weird because there's that weird shuffle you have to do. It's like it's like a long line that is takes up an entire building. You're just like kind of like shuffling down. It's exhausting to walk like that for a long time. <laughs> it is, and there you end up with like bowed legs. Yeah, it's you like more exhausting than regular walking. The craziest hobbyists, though, like there are oh, yeah. some incredible costumes just mm-hmm. walking around Comic Con, and these are people who look like they might otherwise be normal, and I'm sure they are. But at the same time, they took time out of their lives to outfit themselves entirely like the character from Prometheus. Yes. When Kyle and I first moved to New York, we somehow got connected with these guys who had a, a, a company called mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No names on the air. We will not slander because I would like to say things. So we, I'm just going to go back and bleep that name. <laughs> so what are, the, what are the bleepy guys like? Kyle and I uh, were put together with these this group of guys that made like um, video game fan fiction. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, what do you even call it? Like they video game fan, fan films. films. They made fan, fan films. films. And but they made like they made one for for a really popular Sega game that was like an hour and a half live action game and they actually got um you know the original video game voice actor to voice the character on the movie because it, they spent $25,000 of their own money on it. Wow. Yeah, and in like years of their lives. And like these are the kind of people that are constantly at these conventions. Oh yeah, I mean not Again, like not the ones that I go to. Yeah. Like you'll get the you'll get the odd cosplayer or whatever at the indie shows that I go to, which is like always fine and interesting enough. Uh, but you go to the ones like Comic Con. Those are a lot of the time they're professionals. Mm-hmm. The craftsmanship is incredible. Yeah, it's really. I I know a person that does that in her house, and like I was actually at her house the other day and like saw her craft room, and it was amazing. Like the and like she was like casting antlers and like polystyrene in her living room. But she's a <laughs> professional. No. Oh, okay. She's she a like has a regular. She has a regular ass job, and she okay. just this is the this is the way that she's creative, and that is you know that's, that's what I was wondering. It's, really, it's like, impressive the amount of like she's a better artist than I am, but she's doing that. Well, to to this day, I think one of the most popular videos like of all time on Mashable, and it might not be Mashable. So if it, anyway, there is <laughs> we'll get rid of this, but there there is a video I saw of somebody like a chick doing com, uh, cosplay, and. Um, that thing every year just pops up again and gets like another couple million views. Yeah, I but. mean it's like the really impressive makeup is always very like the, or like you know like movie makeup or whatever. Yeah, like, it's always I don't know it's impressive. I don't know. Well, so what? What? Uh, pause. What <clears throat> would you say if I uh, you know like a bucket list item for you like if you got like a strip in a Sunday newspaper or something is that like not even worthwhile for you anymore? You know the the sort of landscape has changed now and like the amount of people that would understand my work that are reading Sunday papers is like, you know, my dad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, and even, you know, sometimes I get calls from him. Like, what does it mean? Cause I mean, <laughs> like, I don't, when I was a kid, I would pull that section out. Like, I'd, Oh yeah. That was my, my dream was to do like single panel newspaper strips. Yeah. Probably when I was a little kid. And now nobody reads them. And now, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, mean people the, do. The other thing is that uh, single panel strips are impossible. Like in to, what sense? To, to make them good. Oh, okay. It's yeah. like, it's, it is in like, we spend, I think, I know a lot of cartoonists and other and cartoonists adjacent people spend a lot of time making fun of that sort of mode of strip where it's like a single panel political comic and it's very bad because they are all bad generally. Uh, but they are impossible to write. I wonder about the size and the engagement of the audience now versus those newspaper strips. Do you feel like the access changes the way that you write, that you have to your fans, whereas 
Yeah, I don't worry about – you can be specific in a way, I think, that makes the strips better. Um, I could just sort of make the thing I want to make and not worry. I mean, I think, I think it's what the internet has done for a lot of creative endeavors. Where, like, you, you can talk about the sort of value of it being too niche now for a lot of things, but um, but it's enabled artists to sort of not worry about being too broad. And I think, I mean, I, I know like when I'm writing something for, say, The Nib, or when I do strips for the Daily Daughter Brooklyn Mag, where I have these bi-weekly strips, like, I know most people reading them aren't going to be my regular readers. So they're like, I think it, I think it does help to, like, worry about who's that making it sort of readable to the average person in terms of uh, making it make sense if they don't know who you are. But, like, doing my own strip, it's kind of like it's nice to just have some creative freedom in terms of doing what I want and being as specific as I want mm. because I think a lot of good comedy comes from being very, very specific, which is, is why a lot of good comedy, nobody likes it. Is it always comedy? For me? Yeah. For, for like the strips that I make? Yes. Um, So far, yeah. Um, like I said, the short story that I ran on Vice was not comedy. Um, The book I'm shopping is not comedy. I'm trying to branch out. It's like, it's hard though. It's like my instinct in general yeah. is well, to make a joke every certain number of Things like it's hard. It's hard for me to be serious or engage with any actual like emotional anything. You know, like I have a thing that I've been working on for a long time. That's like kind of like a very emotional, longer story, and it's like I struggle with it a lot because I don't feel mature enough to do it. You what? Know? A, what a perfect segue! <laughs> oh, <laughs> you've actually uh, very nicely, neatly brought us to the point of our show, which is where we talk about things that are difficult oh. for our writers and oh, our boy. creators. Mm. All right, so on the show, we like to tell stories that um, people have struggled to tell in the past because of you know a number of reasons. It might be political, economic, religious, romantic, you name it. Um, and you emailed us about a, a couple of, of cartoons that you wrote um, or drew. Uh, drew or wrote? Both. Both. Okay, that you both drew and wrote. <laughs> and Made. It, you created as a I creative person. from my skull like, <laughs> like Athena. Um, where you, you actually commented on, um, you know, some uh, some issues with, with police officers, you know, killing yeah. young, unarmed uh, people of color. Yes. And uh, they've been doing that a lot forever. For, for a bit. For, forever. <laughs> but you, you actually were more concerned with the reaction to those pieces. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Um, people like to yell at you when you write about the police critically. Uh, there's like some switch in a lot of people's heads where if you say anything about the police, they just lose their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I mean, it's... It's the same um, idea with the military as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like the idea that these people have like put their life on the line for your safety and how dare you criticize them. Um, but like when individual, when when you know, when the police are acting in a way that's like racist or violent or they're entitled in a certain way and it's like these sort of behaviors should be called out and curtailed and like I don't think it's super complicated like I think we're all on the same page in terms of the cops mm-hmm. uh, but my general when I write about the cops in comics specifically political cartoons like my general outlook is cops are bad I don't like cops I think they're bad um, and you end up getting a lot of very knee jerk responses and people call for you to be fired or you get a lot of nasty email ask, like hoping that the cops kill you or that you hope that like I get robbed and a cop doesn't help you or like People just like they feel very, very defensive about cops. Um, they actually, that's actually their response. So things mm-hmm. like, "I hope you get robbed and nobody helps you." Mm-hmm. They just like they don't. 
you can't say a negative word about the police. Uh, like I made a comic about, it was for the nib a while ago. It was like a fake pitch of like a lawyer. You notice like every time one of these cops ends up killing like a black teenager, they end up making a lot of money. Like they all of a sudden get these GoFundMes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like, <clears throat> or George Zimmerman sells the gun that he killed Trayvon Martin with. That was a, uh, egregious. Yeah. But like, so there are all these guys that end up like, like there was like, I think specifically the thing that spurred on was like someone who started a crazy, some crazily huge donation fund for Darren Wilson last year. Um, and I was just, it was just like a fake ad for like a lawyer that'll like help you set up those sort of accounts. Mm. Um, where like, you know, at the end they're like speeding away in like a yacht that he bought. <laughs> it's the best joke I've ever written. I'm going to brag real quick that the name of the boat was lying under both. <laughs> that is like, so good. B-O-A-T-H. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's the, literally the only time I've ever been proud of a joke. And I'm just, but like, <laughs> that one's going to stick. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, but, you know, every, uh, I write something like that and I get people freaking, like, I'm criticizing a person that murdered another person for profiting off of it. And people are like, oh, well, you, you hit the police. It's like, no, I, I I think it's bad that he killed that guy. Like, I don't... Well, this goes into something Kyle and I argue about pretty often. Um, call it social justice warriors, call it whatever you want. But what I'm more concerned about in that in that regard is that you have people on both sides of that spectrum. You know, you have people on the left who, uh, you know, don't want to take midterms because it takes like too much time to do their homework or something. Or mm. there was that story at Oberlin where these kids don't want to have their midterms. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you have people um, who are on the right that like are, are literally calling those same you know Oberlin students like pansies. Mm. Um, and they're both completely uh, adamant about the fact that they're justified and correct. Sure. By doing that, and I feel like that's kind of. A little bit of what's happening with these comics is that these people are so in tune with the idea that police can do no wrong because yeah. they're doing you know such great things mm-hmm. that anybody who's criticizing that is is you know totally yeah well, so, well you grew up in like those people generally grew up in a place where the cops were good to them personally mm-hmm. like the I've never had a specific problem with the cops really yeah uh, but I you know you listen to people and you believe people like. I had problems with the cops in my town when I was a teenager. I was being a shitty teenager, but like the second I was an, a white adult person, they didn't bother me anymore. Uh huh. You know, think, and it's like, yeah. No, I was going to say, I think my, so my, the reason that I tend to tune out whenever Jeff starts down this path is because I feel like there's, and this is what I would wonder, like I would ask you about it in relation to your articles, but what I feel like is happening a lot of the time is this third party offense taking. Yes. Where the people that you're getting emails from, I would guess, aren't policemen. No. And if you ask policemen about how they feel about this guy who killed this kid, clearly using excessive force, you know, a reasonable police officer would probably agree that that guy. I would not agree with that assessment. Maybe. Yeah. So you're getting emails mostly from police. No, no, no. I'm not getting emails from police officers. But if you go look at like every so often someone online will find like cop message boards Mm. and they'll go on there and they are adamantly always in favor of the cop. Every single time. Every time. Man. They are. I mean, like, you've seen, like, the blue, the, you've seen, like, the Blue Lives Matter shit. I have. Those are cops. There are cops protesting Beyonce shows because she showed what the, they, what what they the, the, what the cops panties. do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like are they just the, the extremely vocal minority? No. Because aren't, <laughs> no. what I would like to it's, believe it's, is it's that the, the, it's the, the culture with police the officers. silent majority are too busy doing their jobs well, raising their kids and I, living their lives. I, 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 I do disagree with that. 
I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of with Matt on this one. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions to everything, but yeah, I mean, like your, a, your average cop is probably thinks they're doing an okay job, and they're, they're not. Gonna, they're not actively trying to do harm, but the it's like that. They just feel it's like it's like evangelical Christian people feeling oppressed. Like they just they just feel like the 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 cops in America right now the culture is they feel very attacked. I think that's... Like they, they're worrying about like. They think that like there's all this violence against cops now, and it's like violence against police officers. I think down. that's too general for me though, because I'd like. I, I'm talking about specifics here though. Like I'm talking about like you go look at message boards and you go look at protests, and there's like a t- it's like the the. It's a brotherhood. Man. Yeah, there's there's no cops speaking out against these guys, none. It's a brotherhood. You have you a, have one person attacked, and they're all attacked. Yeah. I will find the people who are speaking out. Okay, I'm like I will I find them and we'll continue to. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm you know, coming from get, a completely uninformed yeah, place. You know? I get very specifically mad about it because it's like the only, it's like the only unions you see nowadays are police unions, mm-hmm. and then people are like unions are bad. Look at the cops, and it's like yeah, the cop union's bad, but like <laughs> the idea of a union's pretty good. I like having weekends, don't you? <laughs> it's it's actually very nice to have an eight hour workday and not be. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Thank, thank Change to the desk. Yeah, yeah. Thank a socialist or a union worker for yeah. that. Like it's not safety yeah. exits. <laughs> yeah, great idea. Uh huh. Mostly I lo- unions. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so has that backlash affected how you you know create cartoons? Uh, not specifically. I always like wince a little bit when I'm doing a comic about a cop, and I like what it what it does is it makes me sort of it's kind of a futile effort I think to make sure that my my comics about cops are very rhetorically tight. Yeah. Um. It's hard to make a rhetorically tight political cartoon um, because, you know, you try not to make any straw men. But you kind of, it's kind of impossible because it's like you, you are writing everybody. It's like so the person is going to be an avatar of your voice as much unless it's a direct quote from somebody else, which is always a nice tool to use. Um, but, you know, like someone's always going to call it a straw man. Someone's always going to say, well, not all cops are like that. He's he's looking directly at me. Yeah. Uh, just for those of you out there who cannot see the face <laughs> yeah. that he's making. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sorry. personal experience, though. Like um, having known, like I know policemen right now. Kyle mm-hmm. comes from a family of firefighters. Okay, firefighters are cool, though. <laughs> what people think? Policemen? My brother is a my brother is a captain. Uh, actually, I think he's a lieutenant. He's trying to. And the police. A no, uh, a firefighter. Fireman. Okay, so my father the, was a fireman. My fi- grandfather was see, a fireman. See, that's awesome because people, what people think of policemen is what actually firemen are doing, or just risking their lives nicely for you. Right. But <laughs> like, we... like a fire, like a fireman's not like walking up and like into a building that's on fire and be like, "No, this person's black," and they throw him back in the fire. That's what <laughs> cops do. It. So I also know cops by okay. virtue of the fact sure. that they're intermingling quite uh, often. I know. Um, and often firemen and cops. You know, what a lot of people don't realize is that. Most of the time when there is a fire or something, it's the police who are there first. Mm. And so the firemen deal all the time with policemen running into mm-hmm. buildings trying to save people not, before the cops – before the firemen get there because they're always on the beat. So not all like, policemen are bad. We're not saying that. No, and I know – I might just, be saying that. I, and that's I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> – That's I'm what not, I'm trying to get at is no, like I'm, – I'm not saying all policemen are no. bad. I'm saying the police are bad. The institution is in the place where I think the culture is very bad. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and you're Maybe. saying that it supports um, yeah, I mean, both it, dangerous and detrimental. I mean, there, there yeah. is through there virtue is, of the brotherhood. Sure, yes. and I, and I and I think like you know it's easy to be like oh well there are good policemen I'm sure there are I'm not disagreeing Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I wouldn't and I think I think to. even very reasonable people feel compelled to defend policemen to me when I'm criticizing because you think like you see me drawing a police officer doing something bad. Um, to, to a large and audience. Think, and you think of – yeah, to a large audience and you think of the cop that you know that is nice to you. 
And you say, well, he's not like that. He's good. But I'm not talking about the good guy. I'm talking about the institution. I, all, the, the only point that I was trying to make is that yeah. I, I would like to believe in my heart of hearts, and I make this argument repeatedly for social justice, which is that the silent majority is busy living their lives and doing things the right way, while a very vocal minority who's, who have found a platform in recent years through 24-hour yeah. media coverage and news cycles that elevates them past the point where they actually exist. I agree to an extent. Um, I think the the silent majority is too busy not caring or not knowing about it. <laughs> like, I, I think that's a huge like just problem. Like not even doing things the right way, just like totally blissfully unaware. I remember seeing something like <clears throat> someone posted some infographic of like, it's like a, this is a stupid example, but like the number of Americans that have used a ride share app, like Uber or Lyft, mm-hmm. and like you hear people arguing, like people get really into it now, like arguing about the merits or whatever. Um, it's like 15% of Americans have, have used it. Like 35% of Americans have even heard of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? Okay. <laughs> like, where maybe is that's a big may- fight happening. It's because, not. well, it's yeah. because it's, it's fighting in places where the media exists. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that, that was my the main The key point. is it's we, we should go like, back to the land. Yeah. Is the <laughs> live off the fat of the land? Yeah, let's all go there. Give money to local newspapers again. Uh huh. That's um, also important. Yeah. Well, anyway, where can we find you online if we're looking? Um, it's easy. You can go to a mat.pizza and find <laughs> my portfolio website. Is that actually the that website? is actually my website? That's my new favorite website. Matt.pizza. Matt.pizza. Those those top level domains are very expensive, so please go to that website and make it worth my while. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> well, so you're you, we interviewed Dana Schwartz recently. Okay. Um, who writes for the New York Observer, and, yeah. and she also has a bunch of very clever things hidden in her URL and her her uh, like Twitter feed and everything. Um, and it, it's so Kyle's making fun of me. No, but, no, I'm, I'm still laughing at Matt.pizza. It's well, amazing. Well, it's just I know, so, I know a guy that's it's his name dot com. Com. Yeah, that's what Dana's is. Oh, really? Yeah. I, was, I know another guy that has that too, actually. That's funny. Yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, it, it's it's great. Like, you live in Queens and your, yeah. your Twitter thing says Queens. Yeah. Um, but in any case. That was uh, a typo that I just kept. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, I just, I just thought it was funny. It's genius. I was going to say brilliant, but I went to the wall. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in any case, uh, we can find you online at matt.pizza. Yeah. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Lubchansky. It's L-U-B-C-H-A-N-S-K-Y. Cool. And we'll put uh, all of his comics and everything in the show notes. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. This was great. So in the week or so since we actually recorded Matt's episode, he released another cartoon about cops. Um, <laughs> and I can only imagine the hate mail that came with this one, which was basically advocating for treating cops like children. So you should tweet to Matt at Lubchansky and ask him what the reactions were. Or, you know what, just for a change of pace, say mostly positive things about him. Um, You can avoid opinions about cops in general. I'm sure he hears enough about that. But, you know, just give him a pat on the back for at least having the courage to say it out loud in public on a forum where he's not anonymous and to, you know, bear the brunt of those reactions. Seriously, follow Matt on Twitter. He's hilarious. It's at Lubchansky. You can find him online at matt.pizza. Uh, we still, still one of the best. Uh, we really want to thank him for being on the show. Uh, we also want to thank Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Public Library for uh, creating the music that you hear at the top and the bottom of every episode. You can find him online at hollandpatentpubliclibrary.com. Uh, you can find us online at www.podcast.com or on Tiny Letter SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, you know, 
pretty much wherever else the internet exists, you can listen to the two of us speak. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye.